Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Today, we're going to talk about the myths we all hold around life without alcohol. Quitting drinking used to be my worst case scenario in life. And for good reason, I had so many fears and limiting beliefs about what life without alcohol would be like. I thought that it would be boring, that people would judge me that the only people who didn't drink were alcoholics or had a quote unquote real problem with alcohol. I worried that I would never have fun again, that I would lose my friends, that I wouldn't be able to network at work. You name it, I thought it. And the negative beliefs we have around life without alcohol, they're a huge barrier that holds so many women back from even trying a longer period of time without alcohol from even trying to see if they're true. So today we're going to talk about the negative things we believe about sobriety. We're going to hold them up and look at them closely and examine if they're true. And I'm really hoping that by the end of this episode, we will have taken some of the fear 
you might feel about trying a longer period of time without alcohol away. So I'm really excited about talking with my guest today, Carolina Jodkowska. She is a certified alcohol-free life coach who helps powerful women make alcohol insignificant in their lives. She's worked with thousands of clients through her online courses and coaching to change their drinking habit and unleash a new level of health, happiness, and potential to go after their biggest dreams. Carolina has a new book coming out, Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And it'll be out in bookshelves January 4th, so right at the start of the new year. She's the host of Euphoric, the podcast, the founder of Euphoric Alcohol Free, and her work's been featured in the Huffington Post, Pop Sugar, Greatest, and Elite Daily. Carolina's passionate about helping you discover what really makes you happy outside of a beverage and design a life you love. So Carolina, thank you for being here. I feel like this is such a great topic to bring up. Oh, thank you so much, Casey, for having me. And I'm super excited to dive in because, you know, the time that we spend wanting to change our drinking is often in the years. And what really holds us back sometimes are these limiting beliefs about what life alcohol-free will look like. And I just want to like hold up these limiting beliefs up to the light and actually ask ourselves, like, do these really, are they even true? Probably not. And let's, let's really have a conversation around that. Yeah, absolutely. And so before you stopped drinking, did you have a lot of these beliefs as well? Yes. So I can count at least five to seven years where I was so consciously wanting to change my relationship with alcohol. Casey, I even had a spreadsheet. So in my spreadsheet, I would list the rows would have the um, Monday through, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the, the columns would share the weeks, right? So I'd go in after every night and actually put in how many drinks I had the night before, right? And I was at that point, the kind of drinker I was, was I kind of didn't drink in the beginning of the week. And then it, you know, kind of was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you have a few zeros and then it'd be like four, five, three, six, you know? And no matter how hard I tried, I never got to this elusive number, which I thought was, you know, seven drinks a week. The woman should never have more than that. Nope. I was always in the teens, even more sometimes if I was on vacation or something like that. And this spreadsheet was like this constant reminder of my failure, you know, and sometimes I didn't even want to have to fill out like the number of drinks I had on the spreadsheet. Like if I went to a wedding or in a big drinking event, I was like, oh, God, I really have to put that number down. I was doing this every day for years. Oh, my God, that is so much time and energy thinking about it and tracking it. Right. And it was like, again, it was always like this proof that like I was I was failing, like I was never getting down to that elusive number. And, you know, I tried so hard to drink less. Really, that was the whole point for me is like, if I could just drink less, then this wouldn't be a problem at all. And the thing is, is that as I have the evidence from my spreadsheet, I drank less each year. I actually did. I had less drinks per year than the year before. Sometimes I would stick to those goals. You know, when I said I'd only have one or two drinks or drink less nights a week, I did it. I stuck to them sometimes. Other times, nope, not at all. And yet even the times I was successful, I still wasn't happy. I was still waking up feeling horrible, still waking up feeling demoralized, you know? So it was like, no matter how small I tried to make alcohol in my life, it just didn't work. You know, I remember even having, I think like one or two beers and I live in San Diego. So we have like a craft beer culture here. 
as I'm sure everywhere in the U.S. does, but it was like really big here first. And I would have a headache the next day after like one beer. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like if I can't have one beer, what's the point? You know, so it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. You know, like drink less or so. But actually going alcohol free. Now, that is where all the myths came to. That's where I was like, well, you know, everyone's going to think I'm an alcoholic. And then I actually go to AA meetings and I'm never going to be able to go out and my friends will think I'm weird. And this is going to be this huge like weakness and stigma in my life and like just all this limiting stories, you know, and especially, you know, now I think we're living in such a cool time where there's this like alcohol free movement, the cyber curiosity coming yeah. through. But, you know, like many years ago, even just like five years ago, it was really just the beginning of that. And most of what people had heard about alcohol-free lifestyles comes from the culture of AA or the culture of, you know, like someone who really hits rock bottom. Or like if you stop drinking, you have a disease and you are unable to drink. Other people can handle it, but you cannot versus hey, this is a substance like cigarettes that's really not good for anyone if you want to live a healthy life. Yes. So, I mean, really, it was like every Monday morning, I woke up wishing and hoping I could take this break, you know? And then it was usually a social event on my calendar on a Friday or a Saturday that I was like, no, well, I can't. I have the social event. But really, it wasn't just the social event. It was like this expectation that I had to drink at the social event. And if I didn't, that's where all the limiting beliefs came from, right? That's where all these kind of like stigmas and stereotypes and all this kind of stuff came from. I basically didn't think I had the permission to take yeah. it from alcohol. Well, you know, what's interesting. You said that you woke up every Monday wanting to take a break from alcohol. And in my, you know, in my life, I actually really didn't want to take a break from alcohol. I just wanted to feel better. Like I loved drinking. I hated the mornings. I hated the 3 a.m. wake ups. I hated waking up and being like, what the fuck did I do? Why am I hungover? How will I cope? But I didn't actually want to take a break. I just wanted to handle it better. And part of it was like, yes, the fears about others will judge me and the debating, am I actually an alcoholic? Because nobody who isn't stops. But it was also like, I'm going to be miserable. That's what I thought. I am going to be unable to relax. I'm going to be othered, right? I'll be the only one. So like I had all those fears as well. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you are going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at Happy Mammoth. 
happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H dot com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Oh, sure. You know, and I actually went a whole year before I took my first big break from alcohol. I basically made this resolution to myself where I would take a week off every month. So every month I had to take a whole week off. And for me, the downfall, the hard part was the weekend, right? So like the, the week to me, not drinking on the weekend, it was like, well, what the hell's the weekend for? What am I going to do on the weekend? Like I couldn't even fathom that, but I forced myself because of all the pain, all the like waking up in shame, all the, just like feeling so unhealthy, just feeling so bad. I was like, you know what? Let's do this every month for seven days. You're not going to drink. And I did it and I would be so sneaky with it. I would even plan for the weekends where I didn't really have much going on, you know, like no big social event or anything like that. And so one, in some ways I do like want to pat myself on the back because like, it was kind of like really building a muscle that I'd never built before. Like learning to not drink on a Friday night when that's something you've been doing every Friday for like decades is remarkable. But at the same time, I was going through like the worst parts of not drinking like the first week and never getting to the rewards because it takes a while longer for your body to like really reap the rewards of not drinking, you know, just even a few weeks longer than one week. So I never really got to the good part. So even when I wasn't drinking during that week, I was like, this is really sad. Like, I'm really miserable. Like, I can't go out with my friends, you know, and I'm like, oh, this sucks. I never want to have to drink like that would really suck. You know what I mean? Because the week was like kind of like that sad week I had. Well, you're like irritated and white knuckling it and feeling like you're going to miss out, right? Because you're in the beginning and you don't, you don't, you're still craving. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I for sure had a lot of of that kind of thoughts. And, you know, let me bring that up then. Like one of the first biggest myths believe is that we'll be feeling kind of like deprived and bored the whole time. Like that's just what alcohol-free life is. And obviously, you know what? I'm sorry, but the culture of AA, the culture that we at least have been depicted to us in movies and shows and stuff like that, it kind of paints that picture. Like these people are sad and they're talking about their problems and yeah, they're sober, but they're pretty depressed. You know, there's movies like that, right? Where everyone like kind of goes to a basement. And so like that life is even the idea that like every day you're taking it one day at a time or you're like so close to taking a drink that hasn't been my experience. Like I always picture it like you're building a brick wall between you and alcohol, but really between you and desperately wanting to drink. And like each day you put a brick into the wall, right? So it's seven days, you've got seven bricks. It's like ankle high. My God, you're at a hundred days. You've got like a massive strong wall. You're not a day away from slipping and like just getting through the day because you've built up all these sober muscles. You're further away from craving. You're further away from withdrawal. You've realized that a bunch of these myths aren't true and you almost like don't want to go back. Absolutely. And then there's something that changes that's really cool in the brain chemistry as well. You know, once like you you're building that resilience, um, that's kind of harder to notice when you're just taking a few days off is that like alcohol really changes the way that our brain chemistry works. And um, I'm sure this is something you talk about with your audience a lot too, but just to really clarify, like alcohol will lower our receptivity to dopamine over time. And it actually, uh, like our receptors for dopamine retract over time, the more we're exposed to alcohol. 
we get this big rush when we drink, but then we basically crash and our, our brain becomes desensitized to it. It also lowers our serotonin and GABA. At the same time, it heightens all of our stress hormones in our body, like cortisol, adrenaline, and dynorphin, which can make you feel really low. It's like the opposite of endorphins. And, you know, so because of that, like a drinker is basically, and this isn't heavy drinking. This is, this is the science of just even, you know, regular drinking during the week, a few drinks, you know, here and there, a drinker will constantly be in this low state. And then when they drink, they experience this high with a big crash afterwards. Right. But once you rebalance your brain after a break from alcohol, your entire, all of those levels naturally rise up your dopamine, your GABA, your serotonin. Plus, you're not introducing all those stress hormones to make you feel depressed or anxious throughout the day. So all of a sudden, you feel a lot happier and like things that mundane things, things that you had never even noticed before start really making you feel a lot happier. I remember like taking walks and just being like really enamored with like trees and I'd I'd stare up at the clouds and feel like this immense gratitude, you know, and obviously like it can ebb and flow up there. Like life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But this idea that life without alcohol is dull or boring, you know, like we we previously both were like believed, gray or depressing. Yeah, is so far from the truth because we don't recognize the body actually has a mechanism, has its own system of creating natural buzzes. And the thing is, when you drink, you, your brain is unable to create those natural buzzes whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And so now that you can create those natural buzzes, like let's say on Saturday night, I just went to my good friend's house. She's getting married. And so she was trying on some wedding dresses and she invited all her bridesmaids, right? We like laughed, we, we giggled, we, um, we felt like we were connecting, we were talking about our significant others. Like after that evening, I felt totally buzzed. And why? Because my um, oxytocin nurse transmitter, like the one that governs our lo- feeling of love and connection, it was greatly stimulated, you know, and it was something that naturally occurred. I didn't need to take a drug to feel yeah. that way. Yeah. And that thing, that's just one example from like our relationships that we can get a buzz, but there's so many other experiences in life that give us similar ups uh, levels of dopamine and healthy ways, not unhealthy ways like alcohol of endorphins of serotonin, all these different things. And so a drinker is numb to all of that. They can't feel it. They seriously can't feel it. And you let go of alcohol and your brain kind of recalibrates. And all of a sudden you're able to tap into this natural high, this natural buzz of life. And so it's like, you know, when you first go through it, you're like, oh my God, it's like, I'm taking off the blinders. I'm taking off like the glasses that were clouding everything. And now I can really see. So I've had it's something clients that- describe it as being like in full technicolor, like everything's yeah. in technicolor. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like, you kind of have to believe us or experience it for yourself. Is that like, it might have this illusion of feeling dull and boring because the only time you're not used to drinking is when you're trying to like deprive yourself. But once you get to a certain point, it's not like that at all. And it starts to feel like the most magical experience possible. I interviewed Anna Lemke, who just wrote the book Dopamine Nation a couple of weeks ago. And she like, so the whole episode, if you're interested in this and what Carolina is saying, you're like, really? I'm not sure I totally believe it. Or how does that work? She goes into the science literally of dopamine levels in your brain and how alcohol throws them off and how you need to do the experiment of getting further away from it so that you actually feel better without alcohol because it's not your imagination that when you don't drink, you if you drink on any regular basis, 
you feel irritated and frustrated and less happy and all those things depressed, it's because of the alcohol that you feel that way. And when you remove it, you will naturally live at a higher state of happiness. Yeah. And isn't that the irony? Like we were all drinking because we assumed it made us happy in that moment. I mean, otherwise, like we wouldn't do it as humans, even if we only subconsciously believe that, you know what I mean? And it's like, sometimes you really have to just like look at it in a different way. And you're like, wait a minute, like this thing isn't making me happy. Yeah. Like this thing is literally fucking my brain and my emotions and my body. And, you know, you don't imagine it that you get that dopamine hit when you drink. I used to say like, I would drink for two to three hours a night. It would make the other 21 hours of my life so much worse. And that was before I knew the science. It was just literally how I felt like depressed, sad, physically ill, barely getting through the day, strung really thin, anxious. And yet Mm. I kept doing it. Yeah. And isn't it crazy? I wonder if you felt this way, but when I was going through it before I knew the science myself, I thought it was just me. Like I thought like my body for some reason was worse at processing alcohol or I was doing something wrong. The equations, you know, like I actually thought, cause I was the, the drinker who didn't drink during the week and then drink on the weekend. I actually even thought, well, maybe if I drink every day, this won't happen. That is our brain. Like, Oh my God, our brain like cracks me up with like every reason we can think of to drink. Well, I thought like I blamed myself despite the fact, and this is what we always do, right? You blame if I drink too much, this is a myth. Anyone who stops drinking has a problem with alcohol, right? They're an alcoholic. They can't handle it. Whereas everyone else can handle it and therefore they are weaker And the idea that like you sit there and so many successful women sit there and say, well, I am not in that category. I don't want to be in that category, but I also in my hours and hours of debating in my mind actually don't think I'm an alcoholic, right? Therefore, I don't stop drinking because I'm, I'm not over there as opposed. So I thought that when I kept drinking too much, that I was weak. I had no willpower. I had no discipline. I had no self-control, you know, like the girl in the marshmallow test, those kids, right? Like, can you hold on to get to, or can you just, do you just eat it right away? I was like, God, I have no impulse control. I like have one. And then I want more. Like if both marshmallows were given to me, I would eat both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a good one because I think like, Gosh, is it is it seriously the only thing we treat this way in our society, the way we treat alcohol, is that if you were to stop doing something unhealthy, all of a sudden it means you have a problem, right? Yeah. You don't have a problem when you're doing the unhealthy thing. It's only when you stop doing the unhealthy thing, that's when you have a problem. And I think the label alcoholic is super, super damaging. I had to do a lot of research for my book, uh, Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And I really looked at a lot of the consumption levels across the United States. Like what, how much are people really drinking? You know, what is the norm here? Um, And I have to tell you the truth. When I was still a drinker, I was really that gray area person. I was really healthy. I was really successful. I was like trying to limit my drinking towards the weekend. I by no means was anywhere close to someone who's like physically addicted to alcohol. But when I was going through it, I was like, gosh, 
maybe I am. Cause after I want to have a drink, I really want another one. And I usually do. And then I try, I have another one, you know, I literally thought that that's what must be the answer. And I just didn't want to have to admit that to myself because I was like, well, what else can explain this phenomenon? You know, like, I mean, I guess some people don't like after they have the first one. And I was like treating myself like so miserably, you know, and it was really when I actually took my break from alcohol and started learning about all this and really entering the alcohol-free community. I was like, oh no, like no way. Like one, everything I was experiencing was like the normal effect of alcohol on the body and the brain. And it sucks that we don't talk about it and teach it because now like all these people think, something's wrong with me. You know, I have this disease and I don't even know how the disease model could be possible because when you look at consumption levels, over 60% of regular drinkers drink way above the health guidelines, not a little bit above the health guidelines, way above the health guidelines. Right. And then, so take like the assumption that there, and then there's people who drink just a little bit above the health guidelines. I'm guessing it's like 95% of people are drinking above the health guidelines. Right. And that's quote unquote healthy. So everyone's drinking in an unhealthy way. So then like, at what level do you start saying it's a disease if everyone's doing it? Yeah. Well, and it's also the idea of, and you know, I think I did an episode with someone on Twitter where the, the labeling of it as a disease might've been so health insurance covers it or so, you know, so some, so it's categorized as a disease and, and I don't have all the information on it, but even as we were we were talking about, you know, AA 12 steps helps so many, so many people in terms of the stigma, though, the idea that you're powerless over it again, puts you as the problem, right? As opposed to the substance being the problem as designed, because it is designed to be addictive. And same thing, right? If someone's quit smoking, everybody's like, good for you. That's bad for you. Like, that's addictive, man. And so everybody's like celebrates you for doing that. Same thing with like cocaine or heroin or meth or Oxycontin, right? People are like, of course you got addicted to it, right? That shit's addictive. Like if you have some of it, you're likely to want more. And it's likely to be incredibly hard to moderate that, right? There's no question in our mind like that is bad and addictive and dangerous, But alcohol, because it's everywhere in society and nobody wants to give up their alcohol of choice. Like, I think we all have this like, oh, my God, prohibition. They're going to take it away from us. I So everybody's like, I can't even question that that's bad. If anyone has an issue, quote unquote, we're going to blame the person because then the substance doesn't need to be questioned. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be infuriating when you're going through it, you know, because it's like, then it puts so much shame and blame on you. Like, oh, great. I'm I'm one of those people who just can't handle it. Or maybe I drink too much. I did this to myself, you know, like, yeah, the, like self-blame thought pattern too. And it's, it's crazy because it's really like when you study exactly the science of alcohol and especially what we were talking about a little earlier, like it does create this high in your brain and then you crash. And so when you're crashing, all your brain wants is more of what will bring it a high again. And so Like, and, you know, plus like it's expected to have another drink. Nobody stops at one drink most of the time, you know, and the thing with the term alcoholic that really drives me nuts is it's not even a medically approved like term anymore, you know, like in the DSM five, which is the latest category of kind of like mental uh, issues and and different um, syndromes. They don't use the term alcoholic and they don't use the term alcoholism. You know, it's called alcohol use disorder and there's varying degrees of alcohol use disorder. And the mildest one 
basically every drinker could could qualify for that. Like really the bar is kind of low. And then obviously the the heaviest part of that is like a lot heavier, a lot more of that physical addiction that we're talking about. So for any like doctor, therapist, or anyone really with like the credentials to know better, to use the even the word alcoholic, I feel like is is misleading and kind of dangerous because you're you're really you're like putting a line between the sand between problem drinker and normal drinker. Yeah. Personally, Casey, I don't think normal drinkers exist whatsoever. I don't Here's either. what I do believe. <laughs> I really Here's what don't. I believe. I think occasional drinkers exist. And I think when you have this idea of a normal drinker, what you really mean is an occasional drinker. Now, occasional drinker is someone who literally drinks only a few times a year, right? They're the type of person who could have a glass of wine and leave half of it. That's because they drink so occasionally, it's never really imprinted on their brain, you know? But someone who's drinking every week for years, they're drinking above the health guidelines. There's no way, you know what I mean? Or it slowly starts to creep up. So like the, to me, there really is no such thing as a normal, like regular drinker. What they really mean by that is occasional drinker. And, you know, some people who do like stop really easily at one, like you look back at their history and their patterns, they've never really drank that much alcohol to begin with. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's never really had the time to imprint on them. So I hate, I hate that, like, you know, the black and white thinking of either normal drinker or problematic drinker. But that really, was a myth I had for a long time talking about myth. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's the holy grail, right? Like everybody's, every woman I talk to is like, I just want to be a normal drinker, right? Whatever that is. And I just want to be able to go out and have two drinks a night. And what I always say is like, you have no idea what other people, quote unquote, normal drinkers relationship with alcohol is. Because when I was drinking a lot, like I only did part of my drinking with people, right? And it wasn't even conscious. It wasn't even like, I'm going to hide how much I'm drinking from people. It was like, I'm putting on my makeup before a date night. So I'm having a glass of something. And then I go out and I don't want to drink too much and drive home or whatever. So I would only drink some or in a restaurant, you can't have like six drinks, right? The waitress just doesn't come back that often. And it's kind of weird, you know, so unless you're at a party, so maybe you're out and you have two or you have three, then I come home and then I'm like, Ooh, I have some wine open or I want one more. Like I'm having a good conversation with my husband. My addictive brain is also like, have another, have another. So then I would drink more. So anyone out at the restaurant with me, I mean, most people knew I would love to drink and drank a lot or whatever, but they wouldn't necessarily be like, oh my God, she had six drinks tonight. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday 
to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash someday. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you bring up another good point. Like, one, we have no idea, right, what other people's habits really are. But I'll even men who only have one or two drinks per occasion, right? Like that's their limit, you know, mentally locked on that habit, even yeah. though it's only one or two, like that's like the, oh my God, if only I could only have one or two is what other people think. Some people only have one or two and they're still locked on the habit. They cannot yeah. remove the habit easily. Yeah. So it's like, it's not this dreamland, right? And, you know, for me, moderation it felt like depriving yourself because you're still telling your brain, this is a great thing. This is a treat. You know, we get to have it. Like I remember sitting in a restaurant and only having one drink and then just being like, oh my gosh, is this day going to go faster? Like I'm really milking it as the waiter. Like I was so freaking preoccupied and I was like, almost like disappointed. Like, oh, I don't get another drink, you know? And I like, wasn't having a good time, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's another myth that people ask me about all the time. Like they're like, will I go through the rest of my life constantly thinking about alcohol? And the answer is no, right? What's amazing is you describe quote unquote moderation, right? You are thinking about alcohol literally all the time, right? You're tracking it. You're debating whether you're going to drink. You're thinking about how much to order. You're cutting yourself off or you're not. You're thinking about it in the morning. You're worried. You're whatever it is, you stop drinking and you get a little distance from that, you won't think about alcohol. It will not consume your daily thoughts when you wake up and when it's 4 p.m. and when you're driving home from work, thinking about whether you should stop or not and white knuckling it when you want to drink or like, okay, it's Saturday night. How much can I drink? Right? None of that occupies your brain space anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool is that like, I mean, I, I see the women I work with. I see so many people out there on this planet. Like you, we are gifts to the world. Like we are strong, independent women. We have so much to offer. We have this full life to live, to be expressive, to be abundant, to be emboldened, to really live out our potential, right? On this like one given chance that we have, and we're giving away all of that energy to alcohol. You know, it's just like, it's such a waste. Like I have nothing to show for all those drinks. I have nothing to show for all that mental gymnastics and rumination. You know what I mean? It like sucked out my beautiful energy and my beautiful like creativity, right? Like imagine if I was creating spreadsheets for something really like meaningful in my life, right? I mean, I I joke on that, but like it, it takes away so much. So when you, when you remove all that chatter, I mean, it's really an exercise in this mindfulness, like you come to this peaceful place and to this really sense of presence. And you start to start, I think, really listening to your intuition more and you really sparking more creativity in your life. And like what before became like the only pastime you could think of that would be like alluring. It's all of a sudden you're starting to get a lot more creative ideas. Yeah. You know, Casey, right now I'm taking a a break from TV and I'm like, it's so similar. I want to say it's taking a break from alcohol because I have so much time, right? Like before it's like, maybe you work all day and then, you know, you watch a few episodes and the way Netflix works these days is the same thing. Like they, they do a cliffhanger and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And you just want another, right? It's the same kind of hit of like, let me just have another. 
And so I'm taking this break from TV and I have done so much with my evenings. I've done so much with uh, my weekends. And there is that initial examples. What are some of those things? Yeah. So like just yesterday, like I went with my husband first, we like hung out with my parents for a little bit. Then we went to play pool at a pool hall. Uh, We took our dog with us. We got like this really great dinner afterwards. And normally after dinner, I'd be like, okay, that was a nice night day out. Like, let's go back and maybe catch an episode. I was like, you know what? Why don't we go watch the sunset? So we went to our beach like 20 minutes away. We, We took like a 90 minute walk on the beach. It was so gorgeous. And I came home and I still had time to take a bath and read for another two hours. Like it was so cool. And the thing with that is that like it faces you to face, it forces you to face board, right? And that's sometimes one of the more feelings that we fear that isn't like outwardly as negative as like depression or anxiety, but like boredom is something we fear, you know? Oh God. And I can still, I can feel myself like at the end of a day, um, kind of being like, that automatic, like, Oh, can I just watch some TV now? Like, what a nice, like, let's just do that. And I have to be like, no, sit with yourself, sit with these feelings, like learn how to decompress in different ways and like really find something that lights you up even more, you know, and you will find that for yourself. And like, I mean, look at you, look at me. Like we've, we launched businesses, we launched podcasts. I wrote a book, like you've got a book inside you too. You know, like there's just so much that happens because you have that mental space back and really that then that drive to use your creativity. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. the difference between um like passive entertainment and really being an active like creator and agent in your life. Yeah. Like one's way more fulfilling than the other. Well, and the other thing I say is, you know, I have kids, a lot of the women who listen to this have kids and it's sort of like my daughter or even my son, one's young older than the other who, you know, she's watching YouTube, she's watching something on the iPad, et cetera, et cetera. I take it away. And she's like, there's nothing to do. I'm so bored. There's literally like, absolutely nothing. And as a mom, I'm like, oh my God, you have a trampoline outside. There is a tree house next door. You've got the biggest Barbie house known to man. You know what I mean? Like, go play hopscotch, go, you know, do whatever. And you need to literally have a bunch, you know, I do watch her very grumpy. And then, you know, after like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, she somehow gets up and starts, starts doing things, starts coloring, starts running around outside, starts asking me to go on the trampoline, but it takes a while. And it's a very, very similar thing with us when we are used to coming home, drinking a glass of wine on the couch, watching TV. Of course, when you take that away, you're like, where's my easy button stimulation? And, you know, if you take some time away from it, suddenly you're like, oh, I want to read a book or I want to do this project or I, you know, I like created this whole vegetable garden with like landscape design when I stopped drinking and it's gorgeous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, we're meant to be creators in our lives. And I, I like to use the word creator, like not necessarily just the fine arts, not just being like an artist or a writer or something like that. It's creating things that didn't exist before. You know, it's doing new things. It's, it's really pushing your brain to have new experiences, new ways of thinking. Yeah. And let's talk about the fear that others will judge you because I know that is a huge one. It was one for me. It was one 
for so many women I work with. And one of the fears even is like, so for example, I was worried that if I stopped drinking, that people would think I had a problem, like even work colleagues, like, oh, they're not going to want to promote me if they know I stopped drinking, which is insane, right? But what do you think about that? Yeah. And I think that's a really excellent point because I think what we are really scared of is the stories people make up in their heads about us. Right. And we, we live in this world where we, we talked about the insanity of it. Like you could quit doing anything else unhealthy, but with alcohol, like that's, that's when it's a problem. It's because you actually leave it behind, you know? And what's, what's so asinine about it is that like leaving ditching alcohol is one of the healthiest things you could do for your body, your mind, and your soul. Like there are so many studies that come out every single day about not only how negative the effects of alcohol are and even light drinking, like there's just, there's no safe amount of alcohol. The whole red wine thing is a myth. It doesn't make your heart healthy over time. It sags your heart over time and increases your blood pressure and your blood cholesterol. But you know, like there's also these studies that are coming out to show that what the effect of a break can do for your health. And it's, it's insane, you know, like your blood cholesterol goes down, your blood pressure goes down. I've had clients that have gotten off of like lifelong medications and healed chronic diseases, right? Your uh, brain gray matter grows, your liver heals, like everything in your body on a cellular level gets better. And I think what is really cool is that this isn't just like a movement anymore where it used to be like, oh, only if you drink too much, would you want to stop drinking? It's really for everyone. It's really for everyone to start questioning the role of alcohol in their lives, because even the lightest drinker will have these kinds of effects. So it increases all of like the goodness in your body. Everything's healing on a cellular level. We already talked about those brain chemicals rebalancing. And I mean, honestly, it also like induces this wave of drive and ambition and creativity to go after goals that have always been on your heart. So to me, it's like, I, I had a huge paradigm shift kind of not early on necessarily in my whole journey, because the whole journey was like all those years with the spreadsheet. But I remember when I was taking, I I took a break from alcohol for dry January. Then I started drinking again. Then I took another break, which kind of went on till today. And so during that second time, what was really important for me is I had this huge paradigm shift instead of seeing people who give up alcohol as some kind of weakness I started seeing these role models who were literally to me, the coolest people on the planet. Like they were so cool. They were waking up early. They were going on hikes in the morning. They were climbing mountains. They were writing books. They were just like, so, so active and just like really living their lives. And I had this huge epiphany shift. Oh, the coolest people don't drink and they do the coolest things because of that. Right. So now that I have this. I mean, I think so much of it is is like mindset, like you shift your mindset and other people take their cues from you. If you don't talk about it in a way that you are shameful, if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing a health kick in the same way that some people decide to run a marathon or become vegetarians or, you know, get a Peloton and talk about it constantly you know, it's the same thing, like, oh, I'm not drinking, and I feel better, and I sleep better, and I have more energy, and it's awesome. The fear that other people are going to judge you. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online 
self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. A lot of that goes away because people really do take their cues from what you're saying about why you've stopped or how you feel or how, you know, what life is like without it. Yeah. And just like I had to have that paradigm shift to think like the coolest people don't drink. I mean, honestly, Tony Robbins doesn't drink. Brene Brown doesn't drink. Deepak Chopra doesn't drink. Gabby Bernstein doesn't drink. Like the list goes on Glennon and on Doyle and on. doesn't drink. Like so <laughs> many people don't drink. Yeah. But also like when you do that for someone in your personal life, you shift their paradigm because yeah. maybe for so long, they were also trapped in the idea only problem drinkers quit. Therefore I'd have to be a problem drinker to quit. Therefore people would label me the problem and you shift that paradigm for them too. Like, Oh, like there can be another reason to do this. Like, right. And I think that can be really liberating. And what I've noticed personally is that people usually have three responses to, you know, you telling them that you're not drinking whether it's in that moment or, you know, kind of as a for good type of a thing. So the three responses are actually really a lot easier to handle once you know those, those three could come to you and understand the deeper psychological meaning behind them. But I found the first one. My clients are often really surprised at this one. Lots of people just don't care, right? Yeah. Like lots of people, it's totally irrelevant. Like we're talking about a beverage here. It's the same as if like, do, are you eating a banana or not today? Like nobody cares. It's like a it's beverage. A shrug. Right? Like it's like, oh, are you going to order a burger or a salad kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? So a lot of people are pleasantly surprised that it's not the forefront of a lot of people's minds and they don't care. Now, the second response is sometimes a, like, people will ask you questions about it and they're, you know, kind of curious. And someone might initially be like, oh, they're trying to make me feel small. Like, this is embarrassing. You know, why are people asking me about this? But what often that actually means is someone's curious for their own benefit, right? Yeah. Like, they see themselves in you and they're like, oh, like if someone who I relate to is doing this, like, I, I want to know more about it, you know? And they may be asking about the questions, even about your past drinking, just because they're trying to fit themselves in your, like in your story yeah. so that they could also yeah. get the permission they need. 
They might ask questions about how you're feeling or just, you know, whatever it is. Or was it hard? You know, how? Yes, that's a good one. Because if someone's asking if it was hard, they want to do it too, right? Yeah. Or I've had people say, yeah, I've had, you know, where I've been like, actually, I stopped drinking two months ago. I feel a lot better. And I've had people who invited me to a quote unquote book wine club, like it was sold as a book club, but we drank a ton of wine. The woman who was inviting me was like, oh yeah, I've, I have to keep a really good eye on it. I've had anxiety. I've taken breaks at different times. Like it, she got it. You know what I mean? Like that was, I was like, oh, I feel so much better about telling her this, even though she started the conversation with like, come to this thing with other cool women where we drink a lot, you know? Absolutely. And that thing that's like, that's really shifting in our society is that you'll find so many people really want to do this or already have experience with it too, you know, and it just wasn't common knowledge before. And then you guys deepen the relationship because it's not just like, let's bond over wine. Like how trite, you know, it's like, oh, this is a deeper part of our friendship that we could actually talk about. Like how cool, you know? Yeah. And then I find the third like reaction people can have is that kind of veering on like, like little rudeness, or maybe someone says like, Oh, oh, I don't have that problem. You know, like I have so much control around alcohol or like harassing you being harassing, cajoling you. Yeah. And that is very much this, like the second person's profile, but they also are a lot more, um, closed off to the part of themselves that wants to then take a break. So you're mirroring up their own habits to them and they get really threatened and defensive, right? So everything they say has nothing to do with you. And it's all about their own insecurities and doubts about drinking. And this too can really be a gift because like maybe they needed to see you to be able to do a deeper level of introspection into why that triggered them. And that might like lead them to one day reevaluate the role of alcohol in their lives. But it's also, I think what's really cool is when you go alcohol free, like you sit through your emotions. You're no longer numbing them. You learn how to sit through a stressful day and relieve yourself in healthy ways. You learn how to sit with boredom, with frustration, with disappointment. You learn not to numb away your uncomfortable emotions. It's almost like you become more of a master of your emotions, not like a perfect monk or something one day, but you know, like you, you really can handle, like, sometimes I felt I used to be like this much more stressed when it came to my life. And like things just stop being as stressful. Like I still obviously have stress. I have a lot going on, but they don't, they don't like get me the same way. They don't like, it's not like this mountain that's in front of me every single day. And so you're basically building your emotional resiliency. And with people who don't respond well to you, when you say you're taking a break or going alcohol free, it's like time to put on your psychologist hat. And recognize like this has nothing to do with me. It's this all is about them. their own relationship with alcohol. And when they're like, oh, you're not drinking, they're worried that like, well, if you don't drink, what does that say about me? Or like, I won't be able to order as many drinks or like, you know, I won't be able to drink as freely. Like it's all about that. It is. And now that you have that emotional resiliency and that maturity to really recognize that you don't meet, make it mean anything about you. Right. Yeah. You kind of you understand why they did that. And then you can let it go and just, you know, hope the best for them type of a thing. You don't have to like, let it be such a a weight on your shoulders. When a Um, lot of times, as you get further away from drinking, they're like, oh my, you know, one of the most common things is people are like, oh my God, your skin looks amazing. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Like you've gone to this morning workout every Saturday morning. Like 
you do become happier and healthier. And even the, I mean, if someone is a heavy drinking drinker and they give you trouble for stopping, they're suddenly going to be like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, like, damn, that looks good. And it takes a while, right? Like in the beginning, you are shaky. You are like, I'm going to go out to a bar and feel like I'm going to be blown over by a feather because you haven't built that, that muscle yet. You don't have the habit of going there and being like, oh, do you have any non-alcoholic beer? I'll have a, you know, virgin mojito or, you know, whatever it is that's your jam, but it gets so much easier. And what clients have told me is they feel so confident, right? You actually, when you're going out and you're drinking and you're worried about it and you're overthinking it, you do feel less confidence. You're really in your head. You're like, Ooh, if I had too many, am I saying something stupid? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. When you take that off the table, you just feel more confident in your own skin. Oh yeah. That was such a big one for me to recognize and learn because I am like a lifelong introvert. I was die growing up. So when I started drinking to me, alcohol, like was my liquid courage. And maybe that's like a big myth too, that people believe without drinking, that they won't be able to feel confident socializing. Right. Um, and that one's big. I mean, think about it. We, we learned to drink as teenagers, we, or in college or like in really early adulthood, like, do we really practice socializing without it? You know, like we really don't as a society. And so it's like a natural kind of a fear that like alcohol butters me up or alcohol makes me more talkative or alcohol makes me more confident. But the exact thing that you just said is true over time. Alcohol made me super insecure. I was always ruminating in my mind. Like, do I have wine teeth? Did they notice I went for my third drink? Like all of this just chatter was going on. And I was honestly, I was telling my subconscious every single time I went to a party and reached for a drink. Oh, you're not enough on your own. People don't want to talk to you. You're not interesting. You're not charming. You're not likable. You need a drink to do all those things. Right. And I was telling my subconscious that over and over and over and over again until I believed it. It's like I was outsourcing my confidence. And what about the next morning? I mean, the amount of insecurity and second guessing I would feel the next morning was amazing. Did I say too much? Um, Was I slurring? Did anyone notice? Um, Did I overshare? Is my husband mad at me? Like the amount of like insecurity and sort of missteps socially that I was confident I did. Like one of the thoughts about being judged was about work and like, we go out for happy hour drinks on business trips before big meetings. We would all go out to dinner and the wine would flow. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to network or be promoted or, you know, have those late night conversations with people where like the quote unquote bonding happens at work. But what I found was, A, I was so much more on my game at meetings. Like I would like wake up and go over the presentation and have breakfast. I also wouldn't have a lot of the late night like oversharing or when negative emotions come out or when you gossip about people or cringe. Like I've gone on business trips where we're like walking home from the restaurant and I trip. Like how cool is that when I'm like, oh, they're going to judge me if I stop drinking. Like not everyone drank as much as I did. Some of that stuff was like absolutely not professional. Absolutely too. And, and I think that's like a common fear too, is that like, if there is a drinking culture at your work, you know, like, will, will I miss out on that? Will I not be promoted? You know, 
But like, think about it. Like if you had all those negative feelings the next day, like they do too. And guess who they associate those negative feelings with you. Right. Like, so like, I don't know about you, but when I would drink too much or something, I wasn't trying to do this purposely, but I wouldn't want to hang out with that person. You'd like avoid that person. Yes. So why wouldn't the same thing happen with work? Like oversharing, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not built on real vulnerability and real connection. It's such an artificial crutch. And so it feels artificial to everyone involved. And so it's not a real way to like up the ladder or bond with people because like it has an ickiness factor to that. And every party feels the ickiness subconsciously at least. And one of the things about worrying about being judged is I feel like that culture is really, really changing as more people are open about their decision to stop drinking. And in Instagram, so many people are open it open. There's so many people with accounts are going alcohol-free and sharing that openly and proudly. And, you know, one of the things about sort of the traditional 12-step AA model is anonymity, right? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone that you stopped drinking. Don't tell anyone about why. Don't tell anyone about, you know, the meetings or anything like that. And I think as more people are open, as younger people are open, as people are sharing, as more women are open about, oh my gosh, I quit drinking and this is really good. You know, I know when I share on social, like people are like, oh, that's awesome. Way to go. They may not decide to stop drinking, but they're seeing everybody else give me positive feedback on it. It changes that judgment, right? It's something to be proud of. Absolutely. And I'll say like, you know, with my personal life, when I first went alcohol free, it influenced a lot of my friends in good ways. And, you know, some of them took breaks themselves. Some of them were alcohol free. Some, some of them, it took like years to get to that point, but like, I still influenced them in that way. And then now that I have my own business and I have a book coming out, I've also influenced people in that way, you know, like, so you live your best life and you give other people that permission to do it too. You know, like no one ahead of you will ever judge you, right? It's like the people who also feel stuck often are the easiest ones to feel judgment or criticize you or, you know, do the rumor stuff. Like you have to just focus on living your best life and don't worry about what other people think because ultimately you either get stuck in the fear of what people will think or the regret of not doing what you know you've always wanted to do on your heart. And that applies to so many different things in life. It's not just, you know, ditching alcohol. And so it's almost as if like alcohol, ditching alcohol gives you this bravery because you, you face it once, like you do the thing that's not the normal social convention in a respect. You have to tell people or you go to order mocktails or whatever it is, like all those things build courage and you do the thing that's unconventional and you defy fitting in, in favor of your well being and your growth. I mean, it's powerful. It's like standing up for yourself, right? And you do it in this one way. And you start to get that courage and confidence to do it in other ways. Yeah. You know, like absolutely. when I first quit my, when I first quit my job, like my parents were like shocked. Like some of my friends were like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Right. And, and I think that's a big like example. Like most of us grew up with this idea that you, you work a nine to five, you, you live in the corporate world and someone leaving that behind to go pursue their dreams can also be met with that same, like what, you know, but all of our dreams take that courage and really doing differently from what society is doing and choosing what's on our hearts yeah. and going alcohol free yeah. is like this big lesson in that. And this training ground to be able to then do it for the next big thing, 
which I think just taking small steps and overcoming your fears. And I mean, I did the same thing, right? I don't think I ever would have left my corporate job if I hadn't stopped drinking. Like I was just too stuck in fear and insecurity and trying to stay safe. And, you know, once you stop drinking, you have clarity and energy and like perspective on like, is this making me happy? Is this what I want to do? You don't feel stuck anymore. You're like, I've already done one of the hardest things I think I would ever do in my life and it's better. So like, what's the next thing that I am not totally satisfied in my life with? Let me take that on. I mean, you're going to feel fear and it gets easier. I was, you know, terrified when I started the podcast, like terrified the first time I posted on social media that I quit drinking, you know, and every time I've done something that was honest and brave, it's come back tenfold in a positive way. Uh, I love to hear that. And that's what really it's about, you know, like we're talking about a beverage at the end of the day, like a beverage. I love to use that word because it it really puts like an inanimate quality on it. Like yeah. it's just a beverage. It's just a liquid. Like it's like a banana, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And yet it, it wraps us up and it keeps us so stuck. And it's just like, even someone who's already free from alcohol, but now worrying about what society will think and the social socializing, like you got, it's just a beverage. It's like sanity, isn't it? That we right? have so right? much importance on this. Like it, it's literally crazy that we're like, oh my God, if I don't have alcohol in this beverage, it is somehow less than, or an issue or, you know, all the things. Yeah. But what's so beautiful about that is when you start to recognize, like it's, it is just a beverage. I have so much more meaningful gifts and energy to really live out my legacy here on this planet. Like my life matters so much more than a beverage and my dreams matter way more than a beverage does. And you get all of the benefits we've already been sharing on this podcast. You get that confidence, that courage, you start paving a way of really achieving your biggest dreams. You start doing things that are a little different from what you used to do and like new opportunities. Like I'm always so amazed by my clients as well. You know, like I've had clients who have written books now, who have launched businesses themselves, who've become alcohol-free life coaches, who have gone back to school, who have moved across the country into Europe, who've gotten really deep into their hobbies, into their spiritual growth, just so much cool stuff happens. And that's what lights me up. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing this message is you let go of what no longer serves you. And then you make space for what you really want in your life. And if you think about it, what you really want in your life, like how, which one are you going to value more, a drink, a beverage, or what you really want more in your life? And I think sometimes as like women or even just anyone in our society, we don't even allow ourselves to even name and declare what we really want, you know, like we don't even do the self-discovery to, to determine what we really want. And I think taking a break from alcohol and going alcohol free will give you that self-discovery to figure out what that is. If you don't already know, you know, and then give you the confidence to start making baby steps towards that. Yeah. When you spend so much time talking shit to yourself, right? You spend so much time in self-loathing or regret or you know, get your, you know, get some willpower, get some self-discipline. When you switch that off, you're like, actually, I'm pretty cool and competent and good. And I'm good at my job. And what else do I want to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I love that. I used to think I was so incapable of things just because my inner life revolved around letting myself down, you know? And, and once I changed that, like it really redeveloped a new healthy sense of self, my self-worth, my self-esteem. And it was literally just like, if I can do this, what else could I do? Well, and you get, um, you stop having this habit, like you said, of letting yourself down, of giving up. Like I always used to be like, I never follow through on things. And I remember one of my most, you know, when you talk about that, like natural high, one of the most um, high moments I had after I quit drinking was about two months after I ran a 10K by myself in the morning, the morning of my son's birthday, like, forget it. Normally, I would have been stressed and behind and all this kind of stuff. And I just went to this race and I ran it by myself and I hadn't done a 10K ever, literally ever. And so I remember finishing the race and I was almost in tears because I was like, I am now a person who does what I say I'm going to do. And like drinking was a big part of why I never followed through with everything. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I crossed the finish line for my first half marathon and I just cried. I was like, I never thought I was the type of person who could do that, you know? Yeah. No, then you do it. (laughs) And then you do it and you're like, wow. And by the way, all the time you were drinking or hungover, you could be running or you could be painting or you could be doing writing, anything, um, gardening. One other thing I definitely wanted to talk about because it comes up quite a bit with women especially working women who have kids and who are so busy and all the things is I won't be able to relax. I won't be able to switch off. I will not, um, have that, you know, when you drink, you have that like buzzed quiet feeling like it puts a bubble around you of just numbing the pressure, right? You're literally switching off your brain. And so, I want to hear what you think about that. Cause I know we both experienced the opposite of that when you've stopped drinking. Yeah. I mean, that's a really great one. And I think that like, no one should have to fear that someone's coming to take away, like the only way you relax at the end of the day, one, it's not quite working the way you wish it was. Cause it's actually creating more anxiety in your body and you will feel that, you know, that And two, why don't we find something that actually works that really does work holistically and is even better that you look forward to even more. And let's have that be an experimentation self-discovery process. You know, alcohol has been tied to anxiety on a molecular level. Uh, it, It increases those stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, right? Like if, I don't know if you've ever had a drink or, you know, I'm kind of saying this to the audience, you've had a drink or two or three or whatever it is, and then you stop drinking but you don't go to bed right away. So maybe it's like a lunchtime drinking thing or whatever. The feel, the weirdness of that feeling, the, the grogginess, the wired feeling like this, just ugh, this grossness will follow you for hours, you know, afterwards. And we're so good at like not really noticing that because we often go to bed, you know, after drinking. It's funny, my husband, he still drinks and he usually drinks really occasionally now, but we went out to play pool yesterday And he had a few beers at the bar. Right. And then we went and did other stuff. We got food and then we went on a walk at the beach and stuff. And he was like, wow, I'm not ever, I'm not doing that again. Like, I don't feel like, I don't feel good. And I I don't mean like nauseous or sick. He didn't, he felt so like gross because of all those stress hormones circulating in your body. And you're doing that to your body every single day. And it takes weeks for your body to clear all that out. 
Mm. Right. So like, to me that, like that numbness that you're talking about, I mean, that's the same thing as like putting your head in the sand or sedating yourself into a coma. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, obviously you don't have problems when you're in a coma because you can't feel them, but that doesn't mean they're not there. And you wake up and they're compounded because not only did you not relieve any anxiety or stress, you didn't relax your body. You didn't do anything that actually helps you, you know, move forward with that. Now you wake up with a headache and this just like feeling of low self-esteem and no stamina to face whatever you're stressed to begin with, you know? So it just makes life in general that much more stressful. So first you move the alcohol out of your life and the levels of stress that are like up here, obviously they don't go away, but they go down a little bit, right? Cause you're not creating all the stress to begin with. And then you find other ways to, you know, relax. And I think as humans, we're like, we're very ritualistic. Like we need to demarcate like, okay, it's the end of the work day. Now, you know, I get to, I have to tell my brain it has permission to relax. And it's so interesting when you mentioned that, like, the bubble like overwhelms you. Like when you have a drink of alcohol, they once did a study where they put brain nodes on um, participants who were sitting at a restaurant or a bar. And so they're, they're capturing their brain waves, right. And they had them order a drink and everyone's brain waves went up like in a pleasurable way once they ordered the drink, but before they actually drank the drink. Right. So what we've done over time is we've told ourselves, alcohol gives me permission to relax. It's an anticipation, but it doesn't actually physically do that. It's the, it's my thoughts about it that do it. And so imagine if we gave ourselves permission to relax in other ways, like we actually told ourselves the workday is done. Here's a decompression ritual I can do. It could even be pouring a drink. It could just be a non-alcoholic drink, right? And yeah. you get the same yeah. exact placebo effect. It could be anything. It could be in yoga routine, a little meditation, you know, I work with women who are really, uh, have great right. And a lot of them are in that like powerful VPC suite level. And they like turn to things like running or meditation at the end of the work day. And it actually works. Yeah. And then they can turn off completely. And even if something's still buzzing in their brain, they can write a to-do list, right? Like when I was drinking, I wasn't writing to-do lists. I was just like, my head were, you know, my head was in the sand. Well, and the other thing too, is that we drive ourselves so hard all day. And then we come home and I used to drive a shift stick shift car and you want to downshift really fast. Like you're just like, oh my God, we want to multitask with everything. And drinking is really like hitting the easy button. It's kind of a lazy way to do all the things you're supposed to do for your body and actually doesn't work. So in terms of like the fear that I will never be able to relax if I stop drinking, of course you can relax if you stop drinking. And of course you're actually going to feel better. Cause like you said, you're not putting your body into this hyper anxiety state, but also, you know, decompress throughout the day, like get up from your desk and take a walk, turn down some of the crazy deadlines or try to push them off. And then when you come home, you can take a few minutes to go for a walk or you can do yoga after work, even if you have kids or you can do it after dinner. Like the idea that like, I have no time to relax. Like you don't realize how much your, your, slowing yourself down all day with a hangover, with how strung out you feel. And then like, once you stop drinking, once you start drinking in the evening, you are losing hours of time 
just kind of zoned out. So I promise you when you stop drinking, you will have more time to actually physically take care of your body and relax in ways that you're not right now. I think there's something too there that like, you know, we, we don't like feeling stressed. We don't like feeling frustrated and pent up and like, ah, we then numb those emotions. And then what happens is then we never take care of those emotions and our emotions are coming up for a reason. Like you're not supposed to feel stressed and frustrated all the time. And like, there are shifts you can make in your life to be able to, you know, handle your emotions and actually listen to the signal that they're trying to give you, you know, for, so for example, um, many women often have trouble with boundaries, right? So it's like, not only do they do everything at work, then they have to do everything at home. Right. And it's like, maybe that emotion is coming up for you to actually have a conversation with your boss or have a conversation with your husband that you need more help at home or something like that. Right. Maybe it could be like, this sounds scary, but maybe your career is not fulfilling in the way that it is at this exact moment. So maybe it's like you want to look for a promotion or a different job or even start something new on your, by yourself. You'll never know until you lean into that emotion instead of just numbing it all the time. Yeah. Um, it could be so many different things. Like I said, boundaries, it could be like really just like, like auditing almost what you do every day uh, or on a weekly basis and asking yourself, like, does this spark joy? Like yeah. why, maybe I have all these commitments because I'm people pleasing or I'm trying to be a savior to other people, but they're not actually fulfilling me. So you can kind of read all that stuff as it comes up instead of just numbing it. And so you're finally getting to the source of what's driving you to feel so stressed and frustrated all the time, instead of just ignoring you're processing it, healing it, relieving it and doing something proactive about it. Right. And I I don't ever mean to suggest like, oh, you should just quit your job and move to Nepal and, and, you know, become a monk or something. Like, I understand we all have these realities we live in, but we are far more powerful and in control of our lives than we believe. And there are so many coaches, resources, like programs out there that could help with whatever it is, whether it's an unfulfilling career, whether it's like needing more boundaries or help at home, you know, whatever it is, there's a solution out there and someone who's done that and like done that hard thing, but found massive fulfillment on the other side. So I think it's a cool opportunity. Like your life will change in the best way when you lean into those emotions. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know we're sort of getting to the end, but there were a few other things I wanted to touch on. Like one is a fear or a myth that you will never be able to go to places where alcohol is served again, right? Like that it will be incredibly hard. And in the beginning, yes, I found that it, you know, it going to a bar with a bunch of people drinking would be really hard in your first two weeks or your first month or whatever. Like you do need to build the habit of like entertaining yourself and having fun and doing things without alcohol. But once you get further along, I have no problem going to restaurants or bars or dinner party where other people are drinking once you build up that muscle. So I don't know if you've found that too, but I think the idea that your social life will be so curtailed because you're not drinking and you want to, I have not found that to be true. Oh, not at all. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. And 
And the thing is like a lot of that social life to me was governed by like buzz talk, small talk, like just this weird artificial bonding to me, my social life has actually exploded because now I'm really, truly connecting with women and I'm seeking out more growth oriented women. So like we are bonding too over our dreams, not like the rumor mill of like what happened in the office that day. Right. Like it's so much more fulfilling. I actually feel like that need is being met so much more in my life. And I have absolutely like, you couldn't pay me to drink alcohol. So going out to like those bars or, or, or restaurants or whatever, I feel lucky to be a non-drinker. And in fact, when people do drink around me, I kind of feel like, I don't feel bad for them. I don't mean it in like a judgmental way, but I'm kind of like, oh, they're not going to feel that great tomorrow. Or like, like I, I think I'm the one who has like the cooler, you know, life and have, has it like the more like evolved kind of um, mentality around it. You know what I mean? I just, I, I feel amazing and that I don't need to drink to, um, to feel a certain way. Like I can access that state on my own. You know, it's funny. I'll share this because it's not my podcast. It's your podcast. But um, my dad, he is one of the most charming, charismatic men I know. He likes to dance. He likes to host. He's really good at like including people in conversations, making you feel really at home. He's a really sociable guy. He's very extroverted. Right. And he was going through a cancer treatment and he couldn't drink for a while. And my mom wanted to go to a party and he was like, no, I won't be able to drink. And I was like, oh my God, my dad is so sociable, so charismatic. And even he is stuck in this belief that like he has to drink in order to like feel that way. That's bullshit. Like my dad could have accessed that state and that like those attributes of himself on his own. And then it would have been more authentic and more powerful. So it's just such a huge lie that we tell ourselves, you know, that we can only feel this way or be this way when we're drinking. Like we are so much more powerful than that, you know? And it can, you can even reach that state too of like not desiring a drink, feeling lucky that you don't have to drink, you know, like all of those things are so possible. Yeah. And not only that, like you actually have to do it a few times to like get over that fear and, and, you know, anything new is uncomfortable, but once you do it, you're like, oh yes, that was a myth. That is not actually true. And I think that that is part of, I'm hoping what this episode is about is, you know, sort of taking some of those fears that we all have about what will happen if we stop drinking, if we go alcohol free, share that they are not actually true and then inspire women to try it, right? Try going through stuff without drinking, try taking a longer period of sobriety. Like I recommend a hundred days where you go on a business trip and you go out to dinner and you talk to people and you change some of those habits and you try new creative things to do at the end of the evening and ways to relax and see if you don't feel better and also see if all those fears were not in fact true. Yeah. And you'll never regret it. You know, like, I think we have such a finality to it. Like, oh, am I going to have to quit drinking forever? But a hundred days are going to pass by no matter what. Right. So would you rather just try something new and experiment with this or like keep on living the same old cycle over and over and over and over? Like you have nothing to lose and you will never regret it. Yeah, completely. The last one I wanted to touch on is just the myth that there is only one way to stop drinking and to stay sober, to not go back to alcohol. And 
the, you know, there are many, many, many different ways. I think that, that we're an example of not going the traditional route of, you know, how we stop drinking and how we think about it. But, you know, most people, there is a path, you know, for some people it's yoga, for some people it's meditation, for some people it's running, for some people it's community, um, for some people it's habit change and behavior change and mindset. So pulling from different sources that inspire you are, you know, there are lots and lots of people who quit drinking and stay sober, who did not go through a 12 step program, who are following different ways, or maybe did go through a 12 step program, right? That's one of the many ways that people quit drinking, but it's definitely not one size fits all. So if you have this fear that if you stop drinking, your life will look like X, that's just not true. Yeah. I think that fear really held me back. And at first, even when I was uh, talking about the alcohol-free life a few years ago, I would still get like hecklers from people being like, oh, but you didn't do it this way. And, you know, you didn't go, I mean, you know, it's, it's like a traditional way. And then there's a newer way, right. That's open to more kind of options. And, uh, everyone has all the options available to them. And there is no, just one way. I had this one woman share with me kind of like a horror story. She had been alcohol free for about a year and she went to like a AA meeting and everyone there told her she hasn't been alcohol free for a year because she's never gone to a meeting before. So she's technically at like day zero. I was like, all right. I mean, obviously there's so many great communities, great meetings out there, great like AA uh, cultures out there, but this one was definitely not helpful to her. And I was like, how, like, what a, what a, like a loss and like someone trying to strip away your autonomy to be able to be like, you have the best wisdom on how to move forward and grow in your life, you know? And I think uh, for me, like obviously changing your mindset, you know, you can work with a coach, you could go through a formal program. Those things will really help make it as sustainable as possible. But I think going back to personal growth, like making sure you're really reflective about it, that you're introspective, that you're getting to know yourself in a better way. And however you do that, you know, you get to choose, but I think that reflective part of it will, will really help you along the way. And I think today, like, I don't even know if it's as much of a concern like, I think cultures changed so much just in the last few years that like, I think it's more evident that there's a lot more ways to choose, but, uh, I know that held me back for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love this conversation and I, you know, after talking to you a couple of times, I know your book is going to be amazing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, where to find it, how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So my book is called euphoric ditch alcohol and gain a happier, more confident you. And it's really this paradigm shift in our society to really present the alcohol-free lifestyle as one of the like coolest, healthiest choices you can make for yourself. And so the first two parts of the book really share with you why you should take a break from alcohol. So you'll go into like every benefit, every incredible health benefit, how it will affect your sleep, your energy, your mood, and then all of the mental things like the positive beliefs that you redevelop about yourself instead of all of those like negative ones and how that changes your sense of gratitude and connection and presence and all these things. And then the last part of the book actually gives you a roadmap. So it's an eight week plan to take an eight week break from alcohol and have every single week you're working on your mindset. You're dealing with those kind of like objections or like, well, how do I deal with this situation or, you know, socializing, but also then really rediscovering yourself. And uh, what I love about it, like I said, it's not just about a beverage. Uh, the, The plan will help position you to discover what do I want even more? What do I want most in my life? What are my inherent desires and dreams? 
Have I been snoozing on them? Have I never even let myself admit them and really get clear to discover what those are and then start giving you a roadmap on how to achieve those goals for yourself? You know, like one of the women I worked with, she knew she wanted to write a book since she was a little kid. Like her father was a big reader. So was she, they had big libraries growing up and she always wanted to write a book, but it was such a like, well, you know, that's not a realistic fantasy. And then she got married and she had kids and she just got the corporate job. And she felt like her life was about fulfilling this role. You know, like I pay the bills. I t- I'm the great mom. I'm the great wife. And that's it. That's my life. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, ch- I check all the boxes. Like having a dream on the side would be selfish, you know, like looking at per- uh, writing this book now, it doesn't fit with this life, you know, of this box I have to fill. And so for her, you know, going alcohol free and going through this, this framework really gave her like this permission and this hunger to say like, yes, like this is just as important as anything else in my family. I'm going to go for it. And she's like halfway done writing her first book. She goes to writer's retreats now. It's just so cool. Like she'll take the weekend away from parenting and all the to do's and like, you know, really pursue this dream. And I think again, that's the biggest message that I could share with anyone is that Going alcohol-free is like the fastest road to your biggest dreams. It's not about a beverage. It's about discovering what you want most in life and then having the audacity to go after it. So if anyone's interested in the book, I would love, 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 love for you to get a copy. You can get it at euphoricbook.com. And we have some really cool bonuses that um, you can also get. So like we were talking about boredom earlier, I have this really cool checklist of 50 things to do um, instead of drinking. We have training videos on changing your mindset. We also have um, like mocktail recipe guides, like an ebook on that and how to socialize like confidently. So when you sign up at euphoricbook.com with your order number, you'll get all those bonuses. So that sounds wonderful. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been a really great conversation. No, thank you so much. It's been such an honor. I really enjoy diving deep into these myths. Hi there. If you are listening to this podcast, I'm betting you've been going back and forth for a while now on whether or not you should stop drinking. And I want you to raise your hand if you've had any one of these thoughts. You might have been thinking, I'm not that bad. I actually don't want to stop drinking completely. I just want to drink like a normal person. Or maybe you come home after work and you think, I know I shouldn't drink tonight but I literally can't relax or have fun without it. It's really common to say, I've tried to take a break from drinking before, but it's just too hard. I always give up anyway, so what's the point in trying again? Or here's one I hear all the time from women. Everyone I know drinks. If I stop drinking, I will be bored or I'll be boring. I'll have no fun. I'll never be invited anywhere. I'll just sit home and be miserable. Or maybe you can insert whatever your reason is there. So is your hand up? If it is, that is totally okay. And that's because taking a break from drinking and changing your relationship with alcohol, this shit is hard. And that's why I'm really pumped to invite you to my brand new, completely free 60-minute masterclass, The Five Secrets to Successfully Take a Break from Drinking Even If You've Tried and You've Failed in the Past. After you take this free class, you'll realize why 
what you've been doing up until now hasn't been working and what to do instead. We're going to cover all the juicy topics, including what questions you need to stop asking yourself because they're setting you up for self-sabotage, not for success. We're going to talk about exactly what you need to do differently so you can stop the exhausting cycle of stopping drinking and then saying screw it and starting again. And we're going to talk about the real reasons you haven't been successful. And I'm betting they're not what you think they are. And this isn't surface level stuff. I am handing over the strategies and the mindset shifts I go through every day with my private coaching clients. If you're listening to this podcast, I really encourage you to take a moment and sign up for this completely free masterclass. It will help you on your journey to drink less and live more, to feeling better. So if you want to save your spot, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class while the class is still available. And I really hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.